Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The night of June 7th was a typical muggy night deep in the low country with off and on rain. The kind of night that most Southerners just stayed inside and cranked up their air conditioners to beat the heat. But on a lonely stretch on a South Carolina road called Moselle in Colleton County, a mother and a son were still outside their private hunting estate near the dog kennels. 52-year-old Maggie and 22-year-old Paul were dead. Police say they were both shot several times, and the man who found them, well, we all know it was Maggie's husband, Paul's father, Hampton attorney Alec Murdoch. That night at 10.07 p.m., the first 911 call comes into dispatch, and the Colleton County Sheriff's deputies are sent to the scene. Did you hear anything, or did you come home and find them? I've been gone. I, I just came back. That 911 call set off a series of events over the past year, events that are still unfolding, cases that are still being investigated, and a double murder still officially unsolved. Today, Alec faces 79 criminal charges, all related to fraud, theft, and money laundering. If convicted, he faces more than 700 years in prison. But a year later, still no charges or arrests related to the deaths of Maggie and Paul Murdoch. We're comforted to believe that real police investigative work is ongoing. We, like the rest of the public, wait to see what the answer is going to be. This this is not just going away, though. This is not going to die quietly in the swamps of Hampton County. So thank you to Ann and Drew, first and foremost, for having me on. For those of you that have not heard my voice before, um, I'm Katie Solt. I'm one of the evening anchors on the team here at ABC News 4, working alongside Ann and Drew. I'm kind of picking their brains today to see what they've learned in this past year since Maggie and Paul were murdered. As you all know, they've done extensive digging. A lot of questions have been asked. They've done a lot of interviews with people we didn't even think we would get to hear from. But a lot of these interviews have led you and many of the listeners, myself included, to unanswered questions. And I think the biggest one, especially for me, is it's been 365 days. There's been no arrest from SLED in this double homicide. Do we have any indication as to why? 
Well, Katie, you know, what's crazy about this is that we were told within, I was just looking back at my notes and we were told within uh, a day after we learned about the double homicide of Paul and Maggie Murdoch in Moselle, that there was no reason to think that the public was in danger. We got an email straight to the uh, station from the Carlton County Sheriff's deputies saying, telling us it, that the community was safe. And that would have led us to believe that this was indeed a targeted killing. And we would have expected something to be coming down the line pretty quickly in that case. Um, and yeah, Drew, I mean, all of a sudden we're left a whole year without even a suspect. It's been exceedingly strange to see how fast the case moved in the early stages, how nonstop the updates were. We're opening new investigations into this. We're opening new investigations into that. It was nearly constant. and then. Over the last at least uh, about eight months since Alex Murdoch has been in jail, since then the flow of information has significantly slowed down and there have been fewer and fewer updates. The only updates we get now are when new indictments come down. And that is really concerning to us. We're getting off the record information uh, or information that people don't want to stake their names to uh, about what's going on with the murder investigation of Maggie and Paul Murdoch. But it's more, I think it's more frustrating to us knowing what we've been told and more bizarre to us knowing what we've been told, which is that they had solid evidence relatively soon after the fact pointing to a potential suspect. There was physical evidence pointing to a potential suspect, uh, cell phone records, GPS data, many things that we're told law enforcement has and had, again, quickly, very soon after the fact, that made a strong case for a possible suspect in Maggie and Paul's murders. And yet, here we are, again, a year later. What's the holdup? And that's one of the big unanswered questions right now. What's going on? We can certainly speculate about that, but that's... It's not something you necessarily want to do is speculate. You don't want to speculate. And, and that's why we go to these, these sources that we have and we ask them to corroborate this evidence and give us a little bit more to go on because it is the absolute top question right now in so many people's minds is what happened to Paul and Maggie Murdoch that night on June 7th. And one thing that we do know that we keep on sort of looking back at was we do know there was a person of interest. And that person of interest was basically outed by his own attorney, Alec Murdoch. Alec Murdoch was uh, or is a person of interest in this double homicide, according to his own attorney. Um, but that is all we've been told. And of course, we know that Alec Murdoch is behind bars. The, the one thing that did come to light in a really uh, recently, um, and, and this is something that we've been going back as journalists listening to because we've been working on some big murder cases recently outside of the Murdoch realm as well. And when we hear from people that are very close to the case, and in this case, the Murdoch investigation, telling us that it is an extremely active investigation, and we're hearing that from solid sources, 
that the investigation is ongoing. There's a lot of police work being done right now and that it is very active. You have to believe them. A little peek behind the curtain, I guess, for the flow of information between law enforcement and the media, journalists, it becomes a little bit of a cliche for law enforcement to say that it's an active investigation and use that as an excuse not to divulge any further information. But it's it's the idea of when you talk to someone face-to-face -face versus an email or a text message, you can get tone and inflection through phone conversations that you can't get through those other types of communication and the urgency that we're that we're hearing from people we're talking to. So yeah, we we have at least hope that there is something coming soon, very soon. And we just we got the same sort of treatment not too long ago with the Brittany Drexel case where we were told it's a very active investigation. And then within a few weeks time, a 13-year-old cold case has a murder charge. You know, for for them to allow this anniversary to pass without bringing forth something that we can understand where they're at in their investigation. If they truly don't have enough evidence to charge a suspect, even though, as Drew said, we've been certainly privy to to information that 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 they certainly were going down a very strong path. Um, if they can't, for them to let this pass for let's say, uh, Maggie Murdoch's family not to hear anything else or nothing to be made public, that to me also would be egregious uh, because there are so many crimes that they're investigating now be as a direct result of when Paul and Maggie Murdoch died. You know, a half a dozen sled investigations are in process right now. Uh, I think it's... Um, I think it's, uh, for transparency's sake, really important uh, that we hear from our law enforcement. And going off of all of this, you just mentioned the half a dozen investigations that have come out. A lot of names have come out in this, names we've never heard of before. One of those names being Eddie Smith. Remind people who Eddie Smith is. Well, I'll start. I mean, when when I first met Eddie, it was, it was basically the first television um, interview that he sat down and did. And this was after I had seen him in bond court and he had looked like a totally different person. They had basically pulled him out of his home and arrested him on charges that came to light that the police believed that he had in some way assisted Alec Murdoch in trying to commit suicide in order to collect on a $10 million life insurance policy for his son, Buster. I, I got to meet Eddie after that for an interview, and and he told us that he was a good friend of Alec Murdoch, and he, tr he thought of him as his brother, and why in the world would he shoot someone he cared about and, and just categorically denied that he had been part of some kind of assisted suicide plot. But Eddie's involvement, uh, once again, by Alec Murdoch's own lawyer, who said on national television that Eddie Smith was his longtime drug dealer. So there was a big question that started coming out about what kind of drugs are we talking about and what kind of money are we talking about? And then through all of the work that we've been doing to investigate Eddie Smith, we're learning more and more about Drew, you know, about Eddie's involvement and whether or not he actually ever got any money from Alec. Alec Murdoch paid Eddie Smith north of $2 million over the course of several years. 
Uh, he was writing him checks, uh, money orders. We know based on Murdoch's attorneys, they have deliberately pegged Eddie Smith as Alex's personal drug dealer. Uh, we know that Eddie was a client of Alex's at one time as well, and they, according again, according to Eddie, they were friends. But the aspect of money changing hands is now verified, documented. That happened, north, again, north of two million dollars. That's a lot of money, and it, the implication being that Eddie was a drug dealer for Alex prescription painkillers, $2 million for prescription drugs just in a two-year span, because that's when these that's when these checks were written. That's when these money orders were delivered. It was in about a two-year span. It wasn't over the course of 20 years that Alex spent that much money. And again, the implication being that it was spent on drugs. It doesn't quite add up. It doesn't seem quite plausible that, that that's how much Alex was spending in the only thing he could have been paying Eddie for was just some pills, unless it's unless we're talking about something again wanting to avoid speculation. But that would have to be plausibly, logically, that would have to be a much higher volume of pills than seemingly one person could ingest, no matter how severe a drug addiction they had or how long-standing a drug addiction they had. And I think what's still left on the table is the why. For what reason was that money? changing hands between Eddie and Alec. And that needs greater explanation. And we're anticipating greater explanation on that from law enforcement at some point. Meantime, I do know that Eddie is still party to the civil litigation, the lawsuit brought by the family and estate of Gloria Satterfield, Alec's former housekeeper who died in 2018. Uh, Once it became obvious that a significant amount of money had changed hands between Alec and Eddie. Eddie was made party to that lawsuit uh, under the auspices of some of the money that he got uh, apparently would have been money that had been rightfully belonging to the estate of Gloria Satterfield. So I know that that part, that part of that litigation is still pending. And yeah, we're waiting to find out more about what Eddie's real role in Alex's life is and how much he knew about or played a role in many of the crimes Alec is accused of. I want to go further into that Satterfield case, I feel like we've fairly recently learned of new information regarding their case as well. There's been a development in terms of maybe some reimbursement there. What was the development we learned? Gloria Satterfield's estate sued Alec for money that they say he stole from them, which has been fairly well, he's not been found guilty on criminal charges of that, but it's been admitted and it's been fairly well established that yes, Alec Murdoch did, with co-conspirators, did steal uh, about $4.3 million in insurance settlements that were intended for the estate of Gloria Satterfield. And a confession of judgment is Alec essentially admitting fault in the civil lawsuit that has arisen from that and uh, agreeing to the amount of money that plaintiffs, that being the Satterfield family, uh, admitting to owing that amount of money. And it's just a legal procedural thing, but it's very much an admission of guilt or an admission of fault and an agreement to pay back the money. Yeah. And now the receivers have the job of trying to find this money and trying to figure out how much money is going to go to each person. And and, and as, as the attorneys for Satterfield put it, this gave them a ticket to play. Like they now have a place at the table. They can now uh, at least get in line because there's been a lot of jostling as far as when you have multiple 
alleged victims in a series of financial crimes that Alec Murdoch has been accused of, spanning at least a decade. And, you know, they're, they're looking at cases that go back further than that. There are, there is only so much money. And there are a lot of people that are, are looking to at least get paid back what they lost in these lawsuits. And as far as what this means, you know, I've also, we've been talking to Gloria Satterfield's family about the criminal investigation because, of course, Gloria Satterfield, strange twist in this story uh, where, you know, four years ago she d- d- fell. And that's how all of this lawsuit, because Alec had asked the kids of Gloria Satterfield to actually move forward with a wrongful death lawsuit against him so that he could help support them. And that's how this $4.3 million came to be. The money actually came through, but they never got to the Satterfields. It instead went to, to Alec. Now, there, of course, is a question of how Gloria Satterfield died. And even though the family thought that had been resolved, it had not. Uh, because of some, partly because of some paperwork that wasn't filed necessarily properly um, between the hospital and the coroner and, and the family, that, an- that question has not been answered fully. And we've just learned that in the criminal investigation into the death of Gloria Satterfield that was open after the double homicides, again, they're going to be exhuming her body. And we don't know what that exhumation is going to show. What are they looking for? Why would they do that right now? Why is that going to change anything about a woman who fell down the stairs? We've heard the 911 calls about her going down these stairs one way or the other and then ending up in a hospital in a, in a state that she was unresponsive for three weeks, then passing away and then, you know, being buried, it it just, it really is a twist that you just can't, you can't believe it's happening. Like, so now they're going to exhume her body. The question is why? I grew up around the area, went to school in South Carolina. People I went to school with grew up around here. The first mention I remember was the boat crash that Drew brought up with Mallory Beach and with Paul, that got a lot of traction on my social media. And that was the first time I had really heard of the name Paul Murdoch brought up. There's still, it feels like questions with the boat crash. Right now, there are five pending lawsuits. I think actually six pending lawsuits specifically related to that boat crash incident in 2019 in Buford. One by each of the five passengers on board or their families. That's all still playing out in court, and justice is being sought in multiple avenues there. I think mainly now the civil litigation, I think at least the criminal aspect of it with Paul Murdoch, that's SLED has even publicly announced that they dropped the charges because you can't prosecute someone who was dead. Uh, that, that happened in the aftermath of Paul's murder. What hasn't been dropped is apparently there was also open and an obstruct another criminal investigation related to that for obstruction of justice, again, targeting Alec Murdoch and looking into the role he and his late father may have played in the aftermath of that boat crash. If you remember back to the time of that boat crash, the the overwhelming sentiment was justice may not be served here. This is a powerful family of attorneys. They're very well known. They're very influential. Uh, Just speaking from personal experience here, grew up in Collinson County, low country area, where the Murdochs are from, where they operate. 
you've got a personal injury case, they are the ones you go to because they're going to get you a favorable settlement and they, they have, they have sway, they have stroke, they can, they can get stuff for you, but that works both ways, doesn't it? Okay. Paul, by all accounts, was driving a boat under the influence of alcohol very recklessly and drove that boat into a bridge abutment, a bridge piling, sends a couple of his friends careening down into the bottom of the boat, sends some others overboard, Mallory Beach dies. There's this overwhelming, seemingly preponderance of evidence showing what happened and who was at fault, and yet it took weeks for charges to be filed. And we also learned that there were what did that one guy in say that, that you spoke to? The criticism he had of the criminal aspect, or the criminal investigation aspect afterwards, just about one of the worst police investigations he's ever seen. You know, as we watch these kids come forward and young adults now come forward years after they lost their really good friend, Mallory Beach, because these were all best friends that had grown up together and they had stayed tight and they had tried to in some ways, they said they had tried to protect each other when this really went down because it was so scary for them. And that's what uh, they said that the, you know, a couple of them said that the Murdochs had suggested was, you know, keep things tight, keep it closed-lipped, and, and we'll solve this, we'll figure this out. Right after the incident, you heard, you know, Anthony Cook say, you know who this kid is, he's a Murdoch. No one's ever going to touch him. And that must have been the mindset for a long time because we're now only, you know, since Paul and Maggie Murdoch died and some of these layers of protection on this very powerful family have been lifted that these kids felt comfortable to come forward and say, well, actually, this is what happened. And you don't get to be that powerful without a network around you. We know that Alec operated with that network, these names, Corey Fleming, Russell Lafitte, all of these people working, I hate to use the word, but cahoots. They were working together. This is his network. You know, this is how he got his money. Well, that's what the solicitor is trying to look at, the attorney general's office is looking at. That's, that's absolutely what the charges are, is that there was some level of cahoots with hearts of the puzzle that would have given Alec Murdoch sway to commit the crimes that he did. And now we're just seeing it play out and it's like domino effect, right? It's like watching this house of cards come down where he had built up relationships that they now believe the law enforcement thinks had something to do with the amount of money that he could steal. Yeah, it, di it didn't happen by accident and it, it couldn't have happened for as long as it reportedly happened without some sort of complicity uh, from others or cooperation or assistance from others. And that's been borne out in the state grand jury indictments we've seen. He was, Alec was apparently getting help from his friend, college roommate, longtime buddy, Corey Fleming, another attorney. Uh, he was channeling business to Corey in certain situations, favorable, favorable to himself, the Gorius Satterfield case being one of them, the Hakeem Pinkney case, Corey Fleming was apparently involved in that. They were working together, and that's what the indictments spell out. And more recently, the indictments indicate Alec was getting help from former bank executive Russell Lafitte. This wasn't just a rogue person. This wasn't one guy. It makes me wonder if prosecutors may not be go trying to take down, or prosecutors may not be trying to go after not just one thing, but many, many things, other crimes and corruption, because it would seem based on 
interviews and affidavits that we've gotten our uh, that we've conducted or gotten our hands on that it might not be simply a few just a few people it might be more people involved in this at least the criminal side of what Alec Murdoch was doing and that remains to be seen but right now we know there are three people who have been charged well four counting Eddie Smith that's a small network of people right there four people have been charged with legitimate crimes including Alec himself and we learn from a deposition and complaints filed by other prosecutors around the state that there are some questions over the ethics of a judge connected to Alec Murdoch through the 14th Circuit, and that being uh, Circuit Judge Carmen Mullen. She has not been accused of any crimes. She's not been charged with any crimes, but there have been complaints filed against her, and there have been statements made about her conduct in connection to some of these cases for which Alec Murdoch is now facing criminal charges, asserting that she may have somehow played a role either through negligence or, to steal your word, cahoots. You've seen it all. Anything that really was a big head-scratcher for you or a big shock to either of you? There's plenty, there's plenty for me, but for the two of you that have been delving through this, was there a moment where you just sat there and you said, I can't believe we're reading this, we're hearing this, we're seeing this? I, I, one point just I will always stick in my mind. I was going shopping and got a call on my phone that Alec Murdoch had been shot on the side of a road on a Saturday, Labor Day weekend. And I'm thinking, what in the world could happen next in that case? And that, that, that really had to be one of those moments where everybody went, hold on. Like, and I remember calling his lawyer right away, and uh, Jim Griffin, and asking him, what happened? And he sort of came out with the first story that we heard that someone had driven up and shot him. And that was all he knew, that he was going into the hospital. We didn't know if there was, once again, after Paul and Maggie Murdoch, whether or not there was a killer on the loose. And, you know, that, that immediately the public safety issue comes to mind. But, of course, we learned that that wasn't the case at all. So I think, to me, that was probably the biggest head scratcher, if you want to say it like that, or moment where I realized that this case was going to get extremely complicated and we weren't going to be going anywhere. I think the $7 million bond was one of the moments where I, I really was a little bit blown away. That made a statement. And at that point, we didn't quite have the full scope of how much money Alec is accused of stealing, which is, as it stands today, dating back about 10 years, we have a, we have allegations that Alec stole about $8.4 million, a little over $8.4 million over the course of at least 10 years, based on what prosecutors, investigators have been able to determine so far. That's what he's accused of stealing, laundering, fraud, all that good stuff. With the amount of money he's accused of stealing over the over the years, compared to what his actual assets are now in cash, the bank account balances he was keeping in the years prior to his arrest and the murder of his wife and son, just learned this week through court depositions, transcripts filed in court, he was running a balance in the red on his checking accounts through Palmetto State Bank in excess of $160,000. Like he was, his checking accounts were overdrawn by $160,000 and he kept getting 
more and more credit from that bank, which is part of the reason why Russell Lafitte, uh, one of his co-conspirators, has been charged and is under further investigation. Why did that? Why did the bank continue to give Alec more money or extend his line of credit when he was so ridiculously in debt to the bank and had overspent? We're talking about an almost unrealistic, unfathomable amount of money to the average person. Changing hands, being stolen, being laundered over the course of many, many years. And I think that, again, the the bond amount says it all there. And I think that for people that are still listening to this, this is something that's not going away anytime soon. You're staying on top of it. It feels like daily I hear the word Murdoch tossed out at least once once a day in the newsroom. Will there ever be a resolution, do you think? You know, we're talking about a family that was in this area for three generations. They were they were the law. On top of that, they handled, they had touched so many lives as personal injury lawyers. They had created such a vast network of power and influence in this area. What the investigators are doing and what Drew was just alluding to is what really is where the, you know, having the eye on the ball right now is how many people could possibly have come under the influence of one lawyer and his family. That is what we're going to be following and could be following for a long time. It is certainly going to, it has ricocheted its way through the legal world in South Carolina, shaken the confidence of a lot of people, that trust between the client and the lawyer, that has taken a huge hit here in South Carolina with this Murdoch case. So as far as when it will go, it will be very hard to resolve this one. I don't foresee this wrapping up in months. I I think it may be years. We may, I think it will also continue sort of at the pace that it's gone so far, where every few months we'll get a new round of indictments. It's concerning in some ways, but at the at the same time, it's satisfying. If we're still seeing indictments and charges and lawsuits coming out of this years down the road, I think it's a good indication of how seriously this has been taken by the legal community, by the law enforcement community. Hopefully that's what we see. But I don't think it's going to jump quickly at any point. Unsolved South Carolina was brought to you by me, Ann Emerson, along with producer Drew Trupp and editor Daniel Michener. Original music by Maxwell Harrison. And on June 19th, don't miss it. On Investigation Discovery and Discovery Plus, there is a three-part series. It's called Deadly Dynasty. Both myself and Emerson Andrew Trupp were part of this series. Thank you to all of the listeners here at Unsolved South Carolina. Thank you for subscribing to this podcast. We are so excited to bring you a new season of the show on another incredible case. And of course, as updates come in on the Murdoch investigation, you'll hear it here first. Till then, stay safe and don't forget to watch the three-hour special on the Murdoch story. I'm Ann Emerson. Thanks a lot.
Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.